You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Bob Budiansky, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Transformers, Episode 2. And this is talking about a period of Transformers from 1986 to 1987. Uh, And we're following, not the Epic Collections, because of course Marvel doesn't have the license to print Transformers comics anymore. So we are going with the IDW collections called Transformers Classics Volume 2. And I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm Peter Haw. And we want to make sure that we specify that we're reading Transformers Classics Volume 2, not Transformers Classic Volume 2, because Transformers Classic Volume 2 doesn't print two issues uh, in it because Marvel retained the copyright to the Circuit Breaker character. So this is Transformers Classics Volume 2, and it does have these two issues what are they? Issue twenty, issue twenty two and twenty three, the two issues with Circuit Breaker. So they are in, included in this volume. So make sure you get the right book if you're going to pick these up. That's unfortunate. If he's not in it, that would not make much sense for continuity. No kidding, right? Because those are some pretty significant ep- um, issues. She messes around with a bunch of the Autobots. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they include like a text recap of what happens in the issues, but like. When does that ever do anything justice, really? No. Peter, which issues are we talking about in this episode? And what are the things that we need to know? If they, if no one listened to our first episode, what are the things we need to know going into these issues here? So uh, in this episode, we're dealing with issues 14 to 25. Yep. That's from March 1986 to February 1987. Um, things that the readers should know in, in terms of plot or... Yeah, just um, yeah, things that carry over from the previous book. Uh, I would say, for instance, um, Jetfire right. was a character created that didn't have any mind of its own. Um, and so that's... He was just a, given his personality by Optimus Prime. Uh, so that's something that we need to know from last time. Um, also... Uh, the Decepticons have taken an oil rig as their base, and the oil rig was owned by is owned by this guy named Blackrock. Yes, a human. Blackrock is a uh, industrialist who is actually an ally of the Autobots right now. They uh, the world knows that there is these giant robots that are just wrecking havoc across the United States, but no one really knows who they are and what they're doing, and so. The Autobots actually approached Blackrock, and uh, because his industries have been attacked by the Decepticons constantly, because he has usually the latest and greatest technology, um, and so the Autobots actually approach him and let them lets him know that there are two factions at a civil war, and that the Autobots are actually the quote unquote good guys, <laughs> and that uh, if he is willing to provide them with fuel, they will provide their services in protecting his industry. So they've got kind of a, a deal with Blackrock right now. Blackrock's one of the few humans that actually knows that the Autobots and Decepticons are actually two different factions and are at war with each other. Yeah, there's still kind of a secret 
at the beginning of this book here. Actually, that's one of the things that comes into play in this issue is that uh, they're trying to find a way to explain to the public who these robots actually mm -hmm. are. Uh, the other important thing to know, I think, is that um, Shockwave has taken over the Decepticons, and he actually kind of destroyed a whole lot of the Autobots. Yeah. So people like Jazz and Hound, and people pretty that, much everyone in the original lineup, yeah, is is, is, <laughs> is gone. Out of commission right um, now, including Megatron is also missing, and that's the other important thing to do here is is Shockwave has literally taken over the Decepticons, and uh, no one knows where Megatron is at the moment. Megatron was actually. Uh, uh, yeah, he was out of commission, and he actually regained his uh, personality back. He was actually under control of a human. That was last issue. It was a side story that was really amusing, but he's actually uh, back online. Yeah. But he's not with the Decepticons right now. Okay. I think that's it. Oh, and there's a character named Circuit Breaker. <laughs> yes. Who... Uh, <laughs> has a lot of beef with the Autobots and, and Decepticons. She does, not, she does not know that they are warring factions. And well, she, was, I think she does know, but she doesn't care. Do you think? I think so. I got to go through that again. Okay. Well, anyway, she was an employee of BlackRock uh, and is a technological genius, and she was uh, very severely injured by them in a battle, and now she has created for herself this exo suit that allows her to walk again because she was paralyzed, and she has a lot of uh, powers that can destroy <laughs> robots. Yes, handy powers that kind of just materialize yeah. as she needs them. Yeah. So, uh, I told you uh, that I loved this volume a lot. This one's very near and dear to my heart. How did you find them? This was head and tails, an improvement over the last volume. I feel like they really got their legs on this one. <laughs> they and really did. Some of the emotional bits in it too, um, which we'll get to, I honestly felt as a kid heartbroken for some of the characters in some of the trials and ordeals they went through. Yeah. And one thing that, that I thought would have been a problem going back through these again, they kept introducing new characters because as the line kept coming out, every issue seemed to have a new set of characters in it and i don't yeah. think it actually detracted from the storyline it didn't and because they actually used them in a very smart way um it what they didn't introduce characters that became mainstays they introduced they kept on introducing subsets of new characters that would be there for one issue and then go away so it was very much like a guest star um mm, yeah and, and then but it kept the co constant main cast all the way through and those are the ones you really just have to pay attention to. Yeah, so there's, yeah, there's still Optimus and Ratchet's still there. Most of the main the main heroes are there. The only thing that I remember as a kid that was troubling was that even though like those are the main characters, you wouldn't be able to find them in stores. You'd only ever be able to find the new right series in the stores. It was really hard to find the originals. Well, if you notice in this book. Uh, they start off right away introducing a bunch of new characters um then this very let's let actually let's um before we jump into these issues because i don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves i have um i just asked our friends on the internet to give me their opinions uh, of this volume of their thoughts in this volume and we didn't get a whole lot of response but i do want to read uh something that someone said here Okay, so Will says, Return to Cybertron is a great story in that collection, and it's also more obvious that Budiansky is having to introduce all of the new toys because the regular cast disappears for a few issues. And then, uh, I think that was the only real comment we got on this one, and I have to say that that is very true. Like, it's painfully obvious sometimes that 
there's very con- a contrived way to uh, bring in a lot of these characters in it many is, ways. At the time, though, when you read it, I think he did a really good job because I don't. When I was a kid, I didn't feel like that. Um, I actually wanted to know if there were, what was still happening on Cybertron. So it made sense for the storyline to go back to Cybertron. Yeah, for sure. And to see what was going on there, because not all the Transformers came to Earth. So I thought that was really neat, and I think it was a very clever way to introduce the new toys and keep us interested in what was going on in the uh, storyline. It was a very convenient way because all of a sudden you can say, "We need new." We, we've introduced a whole bunch of new toys. Oh, they're just, they're over on Cybertron. Just bring them across the bridge yeah. and there we and go. Yeah, and that's the other thing too, is that space bridge, that becomes a very useful plot device to be able to <laughs> yeah. constantly introduce new Transformers. Yeah. Okay, so here's the other thing is I asked, uh, I asked people for their opinions on which is their favorite combiner Transformer that's introduced in this book. Because last time we got Devastator, he was the first one and probably the most well-known. And then there's like, there's five of these giant robots, not in count, not including um, Omega Supreme because he's not a combiner. So let me see, which of these giant robots is your favorite? Let's see, there was the, Superion, Menasaur, yep. Bruticus, mm-hmm. uh, a Defensor, oh, yep. and Predaking. Yep, those yeah, are the five. five. Those are and the which five. is your favorite out of the five? Out of the five? Out of the, these five here, yep. Oh, uh, probably uh, Menasaur. I like the Stunticons. When oh, okay. I was a kid. Um, I think from a design point, I think Predaking, Predaking looks is, the coolest. Predaking, they were, he was also the most expensive one. Um, I don't know if you ever had any of the Predacons when you were no, a kid. No, I didn't. They, are, they were giant. Like the, uh, the Stunticons and whatnot, they're about the size. Okay, so maybe we should get to that when we get to the issues. Okay, we'll sure. Talk more <laughs> about it later because I, okay. I have a bit to talk about them. Sure, yeah, let's save that then. Okay, so going into issue number 14, the first one in this book here, this is called Rock and Roll Out. And in this one, Optimus Prime makes Jetfire an Autobot. Uh, there's this process called the Rite of Autobrand. And I think in the last book, we talked about, what was the other ritual? Oh, the, uh, the Ritual One? Or no, no. Yeah, yeah, the, the, rite, the rite of One? Something like that. It yeah. was a blood. It was basically a oh, sorry, a fuel oath. That the, <laughs> yes, that the, the transformers perform. And I think he does that in this as well. But Jetfire is branded an Autobot, and then they mix all of the Autobots' fuel together in one pot. And he has to like, eat, does he drink it or or uh, pour it into? Pours, it. He pours it into his <laughs> uh, fuel so, line. It's kind of gross. Very symbolic. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's cool, man. <laughs> They're blood brothers now. Yes. Sorry, fuel brothers. Um, okay, so and then then Optimus brings t- to life a new set of Autobots. So here are our first new Autobots in this book. We've got first of many: Grapple, Hoist, Smokescreen, Skids, and Tracks. And the way they do this is interesting. Apparently, <laughs> conveniently, they had the personalities of these five Autobots stored in computers in the Ark uh, without their bodies. And uh, they constructed these new bodies for these Transformers and then put their minds into these new bodies. Now, this is way before they ever came up with the idea of a spark. But right. I guess later on, this would be the, this is what they would come up with the, as a spark. The, the, uh, the Autobots personality being stored, I guess, on disc. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, funny enough, there, there is a, 
when I was reading this again, I remember that there was a, a similar issue that came up in the cartoon. Because in the cartoon, the Constructicons were built on Earth, uh, according to part of the show. And then later on in the show, because they can't keep continuity straight, they the Constructicons were actually on Cybertron millions of years ago. <laughs> and so they never explained, well, were they built on Earth or were they like from Cybertron? And there have been several fan theories suggesting that maybe the Constructicons were on Cybertron millions of years ago and they had their personality stored and they built new bodies for them on Earth so they could, you know, be built on Earth yeah, and also yeah. have been on Cybertron millions of years ago. Right. So this, this is a... Uh, this has happened several <laughs> times before, but you right, know. okay. There's always ways to There's justify always ways, that. They, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, um, so two of the Autobots that are introduced are just the same molds as previous. So you know, Smokescreen is Prowl and Blue Streak, and Hoist is basically Trailbreaker. So they do this a lot. Um, they just recolor old Transformers and market them as new Transformers, and people will buy them. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> This particular issue, I'm not, and I'm not, I'm, there's nothing much that happens this year other, other than introducing the five new Autobots. Um, although uh, more ideas from the TV show are seeping into the comic, uh, the first thing is Energon cubes. Right, I was going to mention that too. Yeah, first mention of Energon. Yeah, they never said Energon once before this. I don't even. I don't think, think so. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the first time they mention one. Uh, Shockwave has. Uh, he brings a machine from somewhere a power <laughs> siphon and in, he takes the fuel at black rocks uh oil uh rig and starts converting it into energon cubes and they look like the energon cubes from the television show okay so uh, it's just uh, an issue to introduce new uh, new transformers not much happens in here they go on a little mission to for bumblebee to show them around we get to see them the the I guess it's almost like a recap for new readers I suppose because there's a part where Bumblebee takes all the new Transformers all new Autobots to a Blackrock gas station and gets refueled and just uses one of his uh, uses the Blackrock a gold card <laughs> yeah that allows them to have as much fuel as they want from any Blackrock station. Yeah, this is a good issue. I would imagine that this is probably timed with. Uh, maybe the beginning of the second season of the show because this is a year later. This is issue because they came out every month, right? They started off coming out every two months, wasn't it? it oh, was... so this is probably well into the second season of the show. I was thinking that maybe they're doing these kind of things because people are um, discovering the show and jumping onto the comics, and so they want to, you know, bring people up to speed or something like that, maybe. Mm. But and, and that's possible. I mean, that's kind of what Marvel did back in the day was every so often have retell the origin stories so that people uh, could, could you know, figure out what was going on. Do they still do that now? Um, not very often, no. I think with the internet, every, everyone can just look stuff up. But when we were kids, how many issues do we have would have a flashback of the oh, yeah. same thing? Yes, the again. same um, Peter holding the robber that killed Uncle Ben or something like oh, that. And, you know, yeah, sorry, exactly. They, sorry, I take it back. They still do it now. How many times have we seen Bruce Wayne's parents been killed? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> well, the thing is, how many times do we need to see that in a movie these days? Yeah. Like you, when, every time you reboot the franchise, you don't need to retell the origin story. We know it already, which was what's so great about Spider-Man in the MCU is that we didn't get an origin story. He was just Spider-Man. He was just Spider-Man. Yeah. That was a very refreshing thing. 
Um, and I know you haven't seen Spider-Verse yet. Any of you listeners out there who haven't seen Into the Spider-Verse, you have to see this movie. But uh, they they do the origin thing in a very clever way. So, um, okay. The other thing I want to mention here is that I love the Bruce Springsteen, all of the Bruce Springsteen references here because the Autobots <laughs> and these new Autobots have to save this rock concert because they're going to absorb all of the, the sonic energy coming out of the stadium. <laughs> and they, this, they, they do parody lyrics of, of Bruce Springsteen songs and everything. It's, it's yeah, really good. Yeah, it's not actually Bruce Springsteen, right? No, what, I don't remember what they call him in this. Uh, yeah. Oh, the Brick Springstern. Brick Springstern, yeah. At the 10th yeah. Avenue band. <laughs> yeah, there we that's go. what it is. <laughs> yep. uh, I like that. I thought that was good. It's timely, and this like firmly plants this in the 80s, I think, as well. Oh, yeah, the 80s. And so as per any issue that advertises new Transformers, you have to have each of the new Autobots do something and at the same time say what it is they're doing. Which they, they kind of forget about at the end of the book. By the time we get to the end of this book here, they just throw new Autobots there and uh, they they don't do that. So they might have a one panel where they do a roll call, but after that, it's like, then they all attack and Yeah, they don't, they don't bother explaining, oh, look, my X, you know, XYZ weapon does this thing. <laughs> yeah, Bob's probably like, oh my goodness, not another bunch of new... Tra- I'm just going to throw him in here. <laughs> he must be quite frustrated. <laughs> oh, I can't that. even imagine. Like every issue, hey, we need to sell this thing now. What amazes me is how frequently the new toys came out. Oh, if he's introducing six new Transformers in every single month in this book, which he pretty much does every oh, single uh, month. This is a monthly now. This is monthly right now. So I guess, I guess last, yeah. last time it was bi-monthly, but now it's actually monthly. So, you know, he's keeping up. But that's just how many toys are are being released on a monthly basis. It's just At this unreal. point in the original cartoon, it was the same thing. Uh, in the first season, it was more or less the same Transformers. They had the big introduction was the Constructicons and the Dinobots. Yeah. But by the second season, it was the same thing. Every episode seemed yeah. to have a new Transformer. Oh, man. It got exhausting. Yeah, so there's not not a heck of a lot in terms of storyline. It was just an intro for new characters. Well, let's move on to the next issue then. Okay, so now my hate for humans in this series. <laughs> you know, this is a great issue. So this is issue uh, 15, yep. and it is Robot Master. And I remember as a kid, this is another character, not on the TV show. Remember, I, I grew up with the cartoon. The cartoon was my main canon. Um, and so whenever I got a comic, uh, that was more of a bonus. And there would always be these characters who would show up I'd never seen before. So Robot Master shows up in this issue. Um, the issue begins with Megatron on a rampage in a coal mine trying to find fuel. We have no idea. Well, he's been missing in action for a few issues now. Actually, no, two issues Two issues, yeah. Two issues, thir- yeah. We saw him in 13. Well, it's been a few more than two issues, I think. But we last saw him in 13, and he was already missing. Yeah. And so he's just in his mind going crazy, trying to find fuel. And eventually he runs out of fuel and just stops moving altogether. And in this issue, um, the government is trying to figure out how to keep the public from uh, being super scared of the uh, Transformers. And so... They decide to hire a cartoonist. I think it's a cartoonist, isn't it? Yep, a comic writer. Yeah, who already has a a comic book called Robot Master, and they want him to act on television 
as if he is the mastermind behind all the Transformers and he's actually the one in control of all of them. It's kind of funny. It's like they don't want the public to panic because they're giant robots, but they will panic less if they know that the person is behind the the giant robots and and they're not alien robots. So very amusing. If you go to page, what page is that? 35. 35 in the book. Oh, no, 36. He visits the offices of Marvel Comics. And uh, <laughs> there is a picture of Captain America and Hulk on the wall in the first panel that they couldn't include in the IDW oh, collection. No. <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. They had to take it out. I thought this was... That just cheapened this entire collection. <laughs> <laughs> you know, copyright things. There's another one later on in the book that I'll point out as well. But uh, so, yeah. They, so what Curtis is referring to is, yeah, right behind. There's a right now in the issue I have, the reprint, there's a giant blank wall. Yeah. And I never noticed how odd that was until now. But yeah, there was <laughs> a picture of Hulk and Captain America. Was that yes. What it was? Yeah. Yeah. So they go to um, the office of this, uh, what do they call it? Famous comic book publishing company. (laughs) And it's at, the the awning says 387 Park Avenue. And that is actually the office of Marvel Comics. Nice. Uh, This the actual address of where they were at the time. They're not there anymore. But uh, that's where it was. And yeah, at this point also in Captain America comics in the 80s, Captain America was actually working for Marvel Comics as a comic book artist. What? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the 80s, he had a career as a commercial artist, and that went nowhere because he kept missing deadlines um, because of being Captain America. So he decided to take give it, take his hand at drawing comic books um, because he was reading Captain America comics and like, they got this all wrong. I could do better Captain America comics. And so then he worked for Marvel for a little period. Oh, that's pretty meta. It, it, it's very meta. Um, <laughs> that's like uh, in Logan where they have X-Men comics. Yes, right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, and that's something that Marvel's done for a long time. Like, um, at, there was a point in the '60s where Ma- Reed Richards was a consultant for Fantastic Four comics. Like, they would go to Stan and Jack would go to Reed and say, "Hey, what are the adventures you've had? Can I make these into stories?" And they'd have in-universe Fantastic Four comics. But that's uh, that's just an aside. But it was happening, I think, at the exact same time because that was both that was mid '80s for Captain America as well. <laughs> Pretty sweet. <laughs> so here's um, I, I got to interview Bob Budiansky, and I played a few clips from that interview in the last one, but I've got an interview clip of him talking about this character, Robot Master, um, Donnie Finkelberg. So, you know, I was just kind of using my experience working at Marvel, like, okay, I know what a comic book writer is like, and I know, uh, you know, and I, I just thought it'd be fun to uh, smoke screen, you know, why, why are these robots here? You know, like the idea that the U.S. government couldn't be honest about it because if they were honest, they would say there are these immensely powerful robots that are completely out of control that we have, you know, that we can't, we can't stop. You know, it makes it make, it makes the, uh, the government look, you know, rather, uh, inept and, uh, and weak and, uh, you know, might terrify people. But if they can create some other storyline to kind of distract people from what's really going on, they can control the narrative. So that was, that was the idea behind Donnie Finkelberg. And I will say it was somewhat of a homage to my fellow Marvel editor uh, at the time, Danny Fingeroff. I was wondering about that. Yeah, so Danny and I went to high school together, and, <laughs> and uh, we were friends back in the day. So I, uh, I don't know how much he enjoyed being depicted that way, but <laughs> it was made to look like him. And <laughs> the name was, uh, you know, basically uh, twisting his name a little bit to become Donnie Finkelberg. 
That's funny. Yeah. And I did give him I did give him a a, a somewhat noble ending, you know, as unbelievable as it might be, but he, he earned some money from his you know, from this ill conceived uh, government job that he took and he then donated the money to repairing the Statue of Liberty. Hmm. And I think it was only in the thousands and probably the repairs would have cost well into the millions. So <laughs> it was probably you know, nowhere near reality as far as repair, doing the repairs on the uh, Statue of Liberty. But I, I, I gave him like a, a, you know, like a, a heroic ending in that sense. So I didn't want to leave him as just some kind of selfish, you know, craven sort of individual who would do anything for a buck. Mm-hmm. I gave him a, a noble ending. All right. And so you're reading this as a kid and, you know, no one cares about the humans. They only want to see Transformers. And it just <laughs> seems like every time there is a human character, it's someone that you just want to punch in the face. So you really don't like Robot Master. Right. <laughs> like, well, yeah. And he, you know, he redeems himself by the end of this book, but he, he d- gets awfully whiny throughout this entire volume. Well, now that I'm older, once it's like Circuit Breaker. I understand the motives now. As a kid, you don't. You just think they're annoying. I still think he's annoying, but I get his motivation now. Well, and he's kind of, I feel really bad for him too, because he is... He ends up being a good guy, yeah. He, he, ends, he up. ends up being a really good guy, and he is put in a situation that he is not in control of. He thinks he's doing a small thing, and it turns into a really big deal. And he yeah. and eventually, he, he gets kidnapped by both the Decepticons and the Autobots um, throughout the course of this this book, and he can't do anything about it. So he's he's very sympathetic, I found. Yeah. Um, he does get quite whiny, but but I, I, I in the end, I think I like him. Yeah. No, he, he's not like I felt about him when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> Megatron. Scary. I, I, I think this issue, I actually was scared of Megatron. Megatron does some really scary things in this book. And I think one of the things about having robots as your main characters is you can get away with a whole lot more very specific violence yeah. than you could if these were human characters. Like, we're going to see some really brutal stuff later on in this book that happened to robots. Yeah. That you can get it. Like, it doesn't matter that it's the comic the comic code can't touch it because these are not real people. Yeah. It, it yeah. <laughs> when we get there. Um, what do we got here? So the humans are trying to pretend that Robomaster's in charge. The Autobots come to take out Megatron while he's incapacitated, but Soundwave shows up in time, gives him fuel, and Megatron just goes back on his rampage. The humans do <laughs> not know what's happening at all. So when the Autobots show up to take out Megatron, the humans actually attack the Autobots because well, yeah, again, they're giant robots. They're giant robots coming in to rescue one of their own. And uh, oh, this—I don't know. I this is terrible, but I felt yeah, that's what you get <laughs> because when Megatron gets refueled and starts attacking everybody, the humans, everyone's like, oh, but the Autobots—they're here. They'll, they'll save us now. I think that was Blackrock. Yeah, but then the <laughs> Optimus is like, retreat Autobots. We have already suffered <laughs> too much damage from the humans' attacks. Like, the humans just keep shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. And I, I remember when they when the Autobots just like, ah, you guys attacked us. You can deal with them now. <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they leave. And then there's the robot master who's begging for his life. And he comes up with a really clever idea on the spot, actually. Because now what happens is Robot Master says that, uh, hey, I'm actually useful to you, Decepticons. I can keep doing my act and tell the world that there are no different robots, that the Autobots are just as bad as you guys. 
and that way they'll constantly be giving the Autobots grief just as much as they give you guys grief. So it'll be <laughs> on an even playing field. Right. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, I think we can move on to the next issue here. This one's called Plight of the Bumblebee. This one has a special place in my heart because this and the next few issues, I had the original monthly issues at home. And when you're a kid, these days you get a trade paperback, you read it once, I think, maybe. Once in, once in a while, right? But when you're a kid, <laughs> if you, you have, even do. <laughs> yeah. I had this issue. I must have read this thing like 30, 40 times. Well, because you probably only had like I only five had, yeah, comics. Yeah, I only had like five comics. So you'd always look at them over and over and you memorize the yep. lines, the colors. Sure. Right? And it, yeah, it's definitely sentimental. Uh, to me reading these again because I hadn't seen these since I was back in the 80s. Now, the interesting thing about this one is I think it's just a fill-in issue. It's written by Len Kaminsky and with art by Graham, Graham Nolan. Nolan. So it's not the regular team. The, the thing about this, though, is I actually like the artwork in this issue more than oh, yeah. any other issue. It's fantastic. This, this is the facial expressions on the Transformers. They're robots and just the artwork... Um, well, okay, this is a couple of things weird. In the very first uh, page, there is a schematic drawing on the computer of the toy version of Bumblebee. Right. So it doesn't look at all like the Bumblebee that's actually in the issue. Right, yeah. Is, okay, sure. Why not? This issue is basically Bumblebee-centric. And yeah, if you're looking here, I'm looking at the third page, yeah. bottom panel, just like... Oh, there's, yeah. a, there's a picture of uh, Ratchet and Optimus is talking to him and his reflection is in Ratchet's uh, chest. <laughs> and True. it just, just, you know, little details, but I love the way. I always knew, I as a kid, I always thought this issue looked very different from the other ones. And when I looked up after, I noticed it was a different artist. I, I, I'm like, that makes complete sense. Yeah, it's just the... It's it's just more detailed the the way that they do the shine on the on the metal of their their plates and all that kind yeah, of stuff is the it's, luster it, you you know you're looking at metal whereas the other issues they look very flat yeah and that has to do with the inker and we're gonna see another a different inker over Don Perlin's pencils in uh, coming up here who gives it a very different look but yeah this issue definitely stands out as just way better than all of the rest of the stuff in this book like yeah I'm looking at page uh, fifty six now and just the colors there's bumblebee just standing there he's distraught because he feels like he didn't do a good job in the last mission he does metal really well the metal looks yeah, good in this right it does it really does no i just this is just a gorgeous gorgeous issue um, however the the story is just a giant chase yes it so is. the the plot the basic plot is that bumblebee leaves the autobots because he thinks he's a screw-up and he uh, hopes to try and just kind of make it on his own for a little while. And then the Autobots, or the Decepticons, find him and go after him, hoping to control his mind with a little device, which is an ongoing theme throughout this entire book. <laughs> <laughs> and it, basically, he just has to evade them, and they keep chasing him, and he keeps dodging them, and that's the whole issue. There's, It's very much a fill-in issue in that sense. Yeah. So if you, and, and as a kid, that was good for me, because I didn't know what the main storyline was. Right. Yeah, sure. It's just a one-off. Monster of the Week, uh, page 59. I love that close-up of Bumblebee as he's staring at the Decepticons coming at him. Yeah. It lo looks amazing. Next panel, not so much. I don't like that screen. That one always bothered me. Yeah. But uh, there's he, just a solid uh, grasp on what vehicles look like and how to draw them from different angles. And uh, yeah, Graham Nolan is just, he's 
He's good. He's a good artist. Uh, so he gets attacked by the Decepticons. He runs away. He takes refuge in a parking lot where... It's a car dealership. And two guys break in and they steal Bumblebee uh, and they take him for a joyride. <laughs> yeah. But he does not... But Bumblebee doesn't know that that's what they're doing. He thinks that... Uh, he, I think he thinks that they're a team now. I think that was what it was. <laughs> Um, the Autobots uh, see Bumblebee being chased on the news by Decepticons and so they decide to go and rescue him decide they go to rescue him <laughs> and uh, for the next few issues uh, next few pages it's just Bumblebee with the two humans who stole him going on a joyride just causing a lot of trouble did you like the uh, the James Dean yes yes <laughs> definitely <laughs> There's a there's a bit where they have a race with another car, and it's basically James Dean, and uh, because Bumblebee is awesome, he just destroys the other car. <laughs> yeah. But then he falls apart, and the other guy ends up passing him. I remember love I love that picture where, <laughs> sticking, where, his, sticking uh, his tongue, tongue out. out. Yeah, <laughs> um, I really like the okay. Um, flip back to the sixth page in this issue here. Um, keep. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Okay, this one right here, what page is that? Uh, 58. I love the, the panel layout of this one page, how it has the two um, vertical panels and then four horizontal, uh, like four panels stacked in the last column there. But the, just the way that it forces your eye to look at the top of the first panel where Shockwave says attack and you look down at the rest of the panel and then your eye moves over to the sound effect and whoosh up, and you go up, up to the and you, ne- go, to, down. And you yeah, go back down yeah, to the yeah, stack yeah. of four. It's just, it's a brilliant, brilliant layout that really effectively uses panels the way they should be used. This, I, yeah. In the, the layout, I can completely follow the action in this issue. There are some... I don't think it was that bad in Transformers, but you know how some comics they just you have no sense of direction, yeah, of where things are moving, what what's happening. Some of there's the examples later on this, in this book that I'll bring up where I think that they could have been a little clearer, for sure. Well, let's um. The only th- other thing I want to say about this issue is that it has a very abrupt ending. Yeah, Jetfire is, is yeah Jetfire. He shows up. The humans actually end up fixing Bumblebee inadvertently, and uh, Jetfire shows up to help Bumblebee. He gets attacked, and Bumblebee manages to rescue the two humans. I think that's what it was. Yeah. And then the Autobots finally do show up, and the Decepticons retreat. Yeah. And that's it. And they wrap it up and they they squish the panels in to <laughs> tell the rest of their story. Yeah, I think they, they kind of ran out of room. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, I don't know what to do now. We'll just end it here. But that's okay because it's just a fill-in. It's a fun issue. It's a great just kind of one-off. Uh, I was sorry when I looked up after. I'm like, yeah, this guy, does he do any other art in this series? Nothing in no, this volume. nothing in this series, no. And I don't know if he does anything else, but I loved the artwork in this one when I was a kid. Like the facial expressions and everything. Yeah, if you even compare it to the last issue, there's heads and tails above. Now, it's hard to obviously draw robots. Well, Graham Nolan, he uh, he worked on a lot of Batman in the 90s and has did a lot of work on like the Phantom um, newspaper comic strip. So, he's got a he's got got a lot of uh, 
credits, especially just, I think Batman was his main thing through the 90s. He did a lot of work on Detective Comics. Okay. All right. Now, here we go. This is the big one. <laughs> this is my favorite. Oh, I love this issue. I'm reading it again. Love it, love it, love it. Even the, even the cover is horrendous. This is issue 17, Into the Smelting Pool. The real reason for those stories, you already answered. You already gave the answer to, which was I had to bring in another twenty toys or whatever, whatever, whatever number it was. Right. So I had to create a scenario where, where these characters that shouldn't be on Earth somehow make it to Earth. So I created this um, bridge to nowhere, the space bridge, that allowed them to come from um, to, from uh, Cybertron to Earth. So that was the real trigger to coming up with that storyline. So it gave me the opportunity uh, to show off Cybertron as I saw it anyway. So Cybertron was this, you know, world in chaos, you know, falling. You know, I, I guess it was a rather uh, post-apocalyptic sort of feel to it. Uh, warring factions of Decepticons and, and Autobots and, and innocent Transformers sort of caught in between sometimes. Uh, you know, I, I would probably have to say that at that time when I kept those stories, I'm guessing the timeline would have been probably soon after I saw the Terminator, the first Terminator movie, mm, okay. I'm guessing, you know, which, which I probably picked up that vibe of this kind of post-apocalyptic technological world from some of the scenes of the future in Terminator in, the, in that first Terminator movie. Right. So I want to create a Cybertron where not everybody was living happily in a house behind a white picket fence where there was these, these warring factions that had been carrying on this conflict for, you know, untold years and uh, make it very dramatic and uh, and bring a level of, of drama and suspense to to the scenes on Cybertron, so that it wasn't you know that there were things going on that really that really meant something. And in fact, um, even though I was saying earlier, I really liked bringing, bringing the um, the human versus Transformer element into my stories. Actually, it, my favorite story is the um, the first of those Cybertron stories, which has no humans in it. I don't think. Uh, which is um, called the smelting pool. Yeah. I just liked the way that story flowed and the structure of it, and the, but it was very dramatic, and it really played up the conflict that was going on. Yeah, our return to Cybertron, it's, yeah, this is just a, a great, great issue. And I wasn't expecting it to be great because I'm like, okay, we're going to return to, go to Cybertron where we're going to introduce a whole ton of new characters that I'm not going to care about, but I, Blaster's really cool. The world building is huge here. Yeah. I loved the ideas they came up well, with. And they kept it simple. They they didn't really, they didn't overload us with a whole ton of new ideas. They unraveled new ideas slowly um, so that we had time to digest them. And that, that's, I guess, a strength of Bob Budiansky here is that uh, he, he really did a good job of easing us into a, a whole new world, a whole new way of thinking, like he even had little things like uh, um, the, he knew what the units of time are. Yeah, the breams. Yeah. <laughs> One bream is 8.3 Earth minutes. <laughs> so, and that's cool. So, yeah, what this one is, uh, we learn about the the ongoing war. Cybertron is still at war, and now fuel supplies are even, even, even lower and even more scarce than they were um, four million years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, this was dark. This was not like something you'd see on the TV show. Yeah. And so it, it feels almost like Terminator-ish. I don't know. In the very beginning of this issue, we start off with Decepticon, what are they called? Hunter Seekers? 
yeah, hunter killers. They're basically like the, you know, planes that are just hunting down transformers that are considered obsolete and blasting them and killing them. So there is um, a comic, the Age of Ultron comic series that came out five years ago or so, uh, is the same thing where Ultrons take over the planet. And we go to the, this alternate future where the Earth is devastated, and, Ultr- and Ultron robots are just roaming around, picking off humans that are <laughs> that are there. It's, it's a it's a standard kind of apocalyptic future kind of story. That's yeah, and, and that's the thing is we whenever on the TV show you went to Cybertron, I was like, oh, cool, we're going to Cybertron. Yeah, this makes me never want to go to Cybertron. <laughs> this issue was frightening. So, the best thing is the the smelting pool itself. Yeah, like the, so. There's a there's a leader. The leader of the Decepticons is what's his name? Lord Straxus. Straxus. Yeah, he's he is cool. frightening. Yeah, and he has uh, anybody who gets in his way is thrown into a, a smelting pot, like a, a giant pot of molten liquid yeah they explain it here it's like okay so after whenever these uh decepticon seekers like destroy robots and it's not just the the okay and the other thing i got this as a kid i thought that every transform was either an autobot or a decepticon i didn't know that there were neutral transformers as well and they bring that up in this uh in this uh issue as well and so the beginning is there's not even autobots it's just random mechanoids being attacked by the Decepticons. They kill them, and these harvester machines gather up the dead bodies and then throw them into a giant pool of molten metal where they get... Melted, melted down, down and they can and make new Decepticons. And made into new, yeah, newer, more advanced Transformers. Yeah. So who are the new Autobots that we... Are the new Transformers that we meet in this issue? Well, the first... The main guy that we get to finally meet is Blaster. Now, Blaster was not in the original lineup even though the toy is actually the same age as uh soundwave i think they were like uh blaster was he looks like a cassette deck he's, yeah he's in the same uh same toy line as the one that made megatron soundwave and perceptor they're the toy line that made all the robots that turned into life-size right perceptor objects. is a is a magnet or uh, whatever a telescope no, uh, um, microscope. microscope yeah but he never turns into a microscope in this no he book. doesn't you never see him do it in this one but blaster is the main character he's also on the first uh on the cover of the first issue now they on the cover they draw blaster like they do with a television show he's just got a face but in the comic itself, when they draw Blaster, he oh, yeah. has a visor on, just like his right. t- toy counterpart. Makes him look more like Optimus, which I think automatically makes him more likable to me. Oh, <laughs> it's like I, yeah. I, I associate, because of his look, I associate him with Optimus. And he has that sort of same altruistic um, morality to him. So It's not annoying, though. Like he, nope. He's a good guy. Like yeah. You're like, Blaster's awesome. <laughs> Blaster's really cool. In the in the television show, he's more of a more of a fun loving trickster, right? He's sort of like Jazz, but in this comic, he's kind of grim. Yeah. yeah. Well, he lives in a grim world. Yeah. It's hard to be a, a trickster in the environment he's in here. Um, but we're introduced to um, Scrounge as Scrounge. well. Now, he's not a toy. He's just a made up character for the comic. Okay. Um, I figured because he doesn't have a typical Transformer. Yeah. Look so to he him. he just turns into what it looks like a hubcap and. Even in robot mode, you can tell he's quite weak. He just looks like he looks like a, a mechanoid that they draw yeah. a lot of in these issues. And well, and that's his whole story arc is that he doesn't have the same sort of power or strength, and he's kind of always messing up. He he's down on himself. He's the black sheep of the Autobot family. <laughs> yeah, right. 
and he has this uh, i remember i loved watching reading this when i was a kid because of the art so um the he's a spy goes into decepto headquarters oh and they mentioned there's provinces in this you know i just think it's cybertron they never talk about provinces in cybertron uh, in the tv show but uh outside dark mount the stronghold from which the decepticons rule polyhex which is the province <laughs> yeah right uh so scrounge is going there to do some spy work and he has hands uh his his index and his middle finger they extend and he's able to maneuver them down the uh the air shaft i guess air shaft and able to spy on the decepticons i guess these days you just you would have a drone do this <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is this is very analog well and in, later on in the book they just get insecticons to do it yeah 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 and so he's just spying on and finding out uh and he's he's recorded some very pertinent information and we were introduced to shrapnel so in this issue we also get to finally meet the insecticons who are on cybertron things that i liked uh after scrounge gets the information he goes through a beggar's alley where there's like transformers mm. begging for fuel, for fuel. it's yeah. i don't know what it is this is just it's creepy. It's dark. This yeah. is a very dirty thing you wouldn't see in the TV show. Um, and you see these Transformers are just falling apart, begging for fuel. And Scrounge gets captured by Shrapnel and flown away. We don't know what's going to happen to him. And then Blaster, unable to rendezvous with Scrounge, goes back to Autobot headquarters where we finally get to meet the new lineup of minibots, five of them. Uh, Warpath, Cosmos, uh, Sea Spray, Beachcomber, and Power Glide. And their leader is Perceptor. And he gives a recap about how the Autobots had left a long time ago and they're still trying to keep up the good fight with who's left on Cybertron. So how many are we talking when these, these guys are mini-bots? These guys are the same size as the original. So in the original line, line of Transformers, you had your cars like Prowl and Wheeljack and whatnot. And they were expensive. But then you also had these mini-robots, which were of very small price point that parents wouldn't mind buying for their kids. Yeah. And so these is that Bumblebee? That they're, they're they're all about the size of Bumblebee. Okay. Yeah. And their market is such in the in the uh in the catalog. Uh except for Perceptor. Perceptor would be a, a larger he's the same scale as uh Blaster. Is he the same scale as a full size microscope? Um smaller. Okay. He's smaller, but he's still basically a, he's he's a functioning microscope. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> we finally get to see the smelting pool man a, and just a full page yeah. uh splash and and that one where it's just like they're dumping bodies it's just corpses <laughs> i think i think that uh they took some ideas from this and put it into the movie actually the movie came out in 80s 1986 it was released december um, 86 well no this one's i has wikipedia has august june so this is right before the movie right but the movie would have been well done and complete at this yeah. point because so, it, it well was technically be then that means that this issue came up before the movie and there was a scene that i remember that haunted me in the film where inside unicron you see transformers who have been consumed by him being dumped into a pool of acid and watching them melt while they're screaming and thrashing around i remember that sounds like roger rabbit <laughs> that scared me when i was a kid and so this is very reminiscent of that scene. There's a giant molten pool guarded by Decepticons where they just dump the bodies of Transformers 
and you see them trying to crawl out and they're melting and they're screaming. They mentioned the screams. Yeah, that's the thing. This is, they're not all corpses. They're still alive. Yeah. And it's and we know that they feel pain and, and everything. But man, <laughs> it's, it's like do you ever do you remember that? Yeah, episode of The Simpsons where there's that robot that comes out that's on fire. It's like, why? Why was I made to feel pain? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we finally get to see Lord Straxus. And this guy scared me when I was a kid. Like, I thought he was intimidating. It's a comic book. But yeah. I, I remember just looking at the way they drew him. He looks like someone you don't want to mess with. Like, yeah. He's built like there's a lot of bulk to him. And he's ruthless. You see him just. He rips off um, Scrounge's arm. And that this is one of the things where I'm like, this is something that if this were humans, we would not be seeing. The comic code would not let us. But it's okay but that it's robots. But this is like... They're yelling. Like, they are. They feel it. Yeah. Right? Yep, yep. Um, and, and, it's and, brutal. Yeah, this is the first issue where I think it's... Yeah, actually, was it... It was never this gory. I mean, there. Uh, the only thing I think in the first volume that kind of remember sticking out with me was when Mirage got his arm ripped off by Ravage. And that has happened in television, but this one, when you see them getting blown apart, like, or having his arm ripped off and crushed in front of his face, scary, pretty scary. So Blaster purposely gets captured so that he can find Scrounge because he thinks Scrounge is inside the pit now. And here we go. This is it. Blaster finds Scrounge in the smelting pool and Power Glide comes to help rescue them and when Blaster tries to pull Scrounge out of the pit, oh man, he's half melted. Yeah, it's horrifying. <laughs> I remember seeing that as a kid. I'm like, what? <laughs> half of his body is just—it's dripping off of him. Could you imagine that? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just—and I remember just like the way the art is. I remember I could almost feel the heat, and then you see. So that. this is still Don Perlin, the guy that you are not—we're not impressed with. No, uh, with this. these issues, but he steps it up here. Yeah, like, this is really fantastic. Art. And I wonder if the reason they had the fill in was that they just needed more time. He needed more time to do some extra work on this issue. The overall, like just the story itself is great. So then the uh, Scrounge says, nope. He, he does the noble sacrifice and gives <laughs> Blaster a cassette tape. <laughs> Man, the 80s, eh? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like because only, Blaster's a ghetto blaster. If only we knew. <laughs> but uh, gives Blaster the cassette tape with the information that he had stolen and melts. Yeah, and, and the brutal thing is that um, he could, Blaster could have helped some of the other robots that are trying to climb out of there, but he leaves them all. There yeah. are other robots tr climbing up the side and hanging on for dear life. Um, Blaster only went in there for Scourge or for Scrounge, yeah, and uh, he ignores all the rest of them. That 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 is kind of his personality. I mean, we mentioned he's kind of more grim in this. Like he yeah. he like he he threatens one of the uh, derelict robots later to find out where Scrounge is, and yeah, he's just not the same Blaster that's on TV show. I like this Blaster a lot more, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's sort of an anti-hero. No. It's too bad he hasn't become one of the mainstays that kind of always I was up. disappointed because this was his moment to shine. He shows up. He has a couple of issues later on, but that's pretty much it. This is his main yeah. his main story arc. Okay. Well, it's a good one then. And then, oh, at the end when he uh, when the Autobots, it turns out all the Autobots came to help with the rescue, Blaster lets go of Power Glide and rips the piping that shoots, <laughs> yeah. the, uh, that, has the, that moves the molten metal around and nails 
a bunch of Decepticons with the molten metal. Yeah, it's awesome. And that was very cathartic. <laughs> Watching him just like be awesome. Yeah. And, uh, oh, it turns out that the message the Scrounge had gotten was that message sent by Soundwave several issues back. What? Yeah, I think they say issue 10, I think it is. And that uh, there are Autobots still alive on Earth. And it's it really gives cool. the Autobot resistance on on, on uh, Cybertron hope. Yeah, that was, that, this is a great, that, that a great moment. That was very good. Yep. Yeah. It's an, and it's like, yes, we're finally making contact. We're making progress. and uh, um, But it's not as easy as that. Oh man, I love this issue. But how how long? I wonder how long it took the transmission. Like, does this happen? Uh, does this the events in this? I guess the events in this issue happen. I'm thinking this probably happens a, at the same quite time. Quite a while because, ago, yeah. No, I think this probably happened a while back because after they're able to establish communication with the Decepticons fairly quickly. Right. So I'm thinking this is probably this whole story probably happened a while back. And right. We're seeing it now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, keep going here. Issue number 18, The Bridge to Nowhere. And once again, I'm happy because this is continuing the same story arc. The Decepticons have built a space bridge. It's not fully functional. There's something wrong with it. It's glitchy. Anyone who tries to cross a bridge gets destroyed. <laughs> yeah. I love how Straxus keeps sending Decepticons to go across the bridge. I love it. It's keep, so keep funny. And they're like, but but it's, it's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's going to work. Like, go try it anyway. <laughs> Such a Decepticon thing to do. <laughs> and he kicks, he kicks that one robot. It's like, get going. <laughs> ah! <laughs> oh, man. But bad yeah, guys. You know, yeah. there's never any sensible bad guys back then. Are there? I mean, I know it seems like they're always like, they have no, they don't care about their men. That's not how you lead an army. Anyway, well, yeah, there's so much ego and stuff going on. Yeah, but yeah, no, Straxus is pretty cool though. But he's built this. I think it 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 just takes a lot of um, a lot of effort to build a bridge that goes across the, the universe. So he he must have a good command of his troops uh, in some way, whether it's through fear or what, in order to make to accomplish that feat because it's a pretty big feat. Um, what do we got here? The Autobots know about the bridge. They want to destroy the bridge. But Blaster's like, uh, I don't think we should destroy the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> we should find out more about it. Which is a good idea, Which since good they idea. know Optimus Prime is on the potentially on the other we side. We have a flashback of Scrounge melting in the pool. I'm like, yeah. The first of many flashbacks of horrific moments that <laughs> happened in this book. There are several of those. <laughs> Um, okay, so the best part, um, I'm going to skip ahead to yep. um, the part where Blaster, he gets to the bridge himself and discovers, well, he's been looking for his buddy Spanner. He's talked about him in the last episode as well. In fact, that's why Scrounge was caught by the Decepticons. He was looking for Spanner as well. Spanner's some kind of neutral scientist who specializes in... <laughs> space teleportation oh okay perfect <laughs> conveniently <laughs> and so uh yeah blaster uh goes to the bridge to blow it up because i guess he's decided that's what we got to do we don't want the decepticons getting to earth and getting all the fuel and destroying us and uh oh it turns out that the space bridge is actually spanner yeah so this was a great reveal um and i can just imagine like he looks cool but to an autobot if you think about like in the fly 
when yeah what i was what's jeff goldblum's girlfriend's name in that movie i can't remember um but she like comes to his apartment and he's like fully transformed into a fly and he is like the most grotesque thing that you've seen and he's like help me and or like oh what does he say like kill me or something like that it's like i can imagine that same thing like yeah he's been twisted and just and and tortured and contorted into this um, horrific looking bridge like this is supposed to be a human looking or a like a humanoid looking robot yeah he looks i remember as a kid i'm like why are his arms up there they yeah they, they shouldn't be it would be it'd be and, absolutely and, and, and horrific then later on he even says he's in pain yeah he's in pain and he wants blaster to blow him up it's it's uh it's very dark yeah and this one also like we even though we we had the main autobots uh, the five Autobots and Perceptors show up. Turns out there's a whole army of them. And there is actually a very epic battle that happens near the bridge. And they keep blowing Transformers up. Straxus keeps killing tons of them. Like there's there's a point in the issue where they keep mentioning that bodies from both sides keep yeah, falling over the bridge. Yeah, they're being decimated, yeah. Yeah, they're being decimated. And it, it this one feels like a war. But it's a, And it's an important battle. It's the most important battles are ones that are over um, a very specific strategic location, right? And, yeah. and this is going to be the most strategic location to take control of. And the Autobots lose this battle. Um, uh, but not without destroying uh, Straxus first. Yeah, that, like you, when, when, Straxus, when Straxus goes to fight Blaster... Like, I feel scared for Blaster because Straxus is way bigger than him and frightening. And they Blaster does not give an inch. He just fights him. Doesn't seem to be scared either. And then uses Straxus' own line against him. Spare me the details, Straxus. And boots him <laughs> over the bridge. And over the bridge is uh, non-space or something. And anything that goes into contact with it, it just gets destroyed. And he, Straxus ends up dying just like all of his minions he had been sending over the bridge who had died earlier in the issue. Justice, Very poetic. Yes, justice is served, and the the main Autobots managed to get over the bridge onto Earth right as the bridge disappears because a fuel line was uh, wrecked, and now they're stranded on Earth. And that is the unfortunate end of that story arc. That was my favorite story arc. That was, it was a good. It's only two issues. Too. Only two issues. I, it felt longer when I was a kid, but that was like, oh, that was such a good story arc. Yeah, it's it's fantastic, and this is just the beginning of of this long space bridge kind of story because it, it continues, but it doesn't a, continue with this this new group of Autobots. Yeah, like you said, at this point, it's almost like every issue is a guest. Yeah, guest cameo of the newest toy that came out. So this next issue, yeah, the newest toy is Omega, Omega Supreme. Supreme. Wow. The toy that every kid at the time wanted. He was amazing. And in retrospect, not a very good Transformer. But he, <laughs> he, but he was... Okay, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to it here. This issue is called Command Performances. So they, the Autobots build Omega Supreme, Grapple specifically. And he's been working on this for quite a few issues now. And they claim... Uh, now, if you don't know about the toy, Omega Supreme, he is a puzzle. He's not really a Transformer per se. He is a tank, a rocket ship, and a track that the tank moves around in. Now, to transform him, you literally take him apart like Lego, and you reassemble him. And in a way, it's sort of like the... the Constructicons where you put pieces together. So in the comic book, they use the 
excuse that they used some of the technology they stole from Devastator to construct Omega Supreme. Right. Yeah. They were saying, what did they say? They said that they want to have the ability to make a, like a combiner, combiner. Yeah. but this is as close as they can get. Um, it's, he's just one robot. He's not five put together. Yeah. That said, the Omega Supreme, as a kid, everyone wanted Omega Supreme. He was huge. He walked. He's an awesome toy. Did you ever have him? Yeah, I had him. Nice. I got it for 10 bucks at a garage sale. What? Yeah, that was a fine. <laughs> and I had to beg my mom for that one because I got him when the Transformers had stopped being popular. So 10 yeah. bucks was a little steep. <laughs> but I had him for a while. Oh. You don't have him anymore? No, I sold him. Uh. And now he's worth so much money. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. But that said, I was missing a few pieces at the time because he has so many pieces. Anyway, okay. anyway. The Autobots want to go on a mission to, I think, steal the complete plans that Devastator uses to combine. And they leave Omega Supreme, the last line of defense, to guard the Ark. Yeah. And Ratchet and the other Autobots who have been uh, deactivated, who he's repairing. This is actually a pretty complex plot in this one. Because on the other end, Megatron has been taken back to Soundwave, to the pit, uh, where the, the the Decepticons have made up their base, and Soundwave and Megatron are kind of at odds. Now, I thought that that Shockwave was leading the Decepticons, but here it seems like he's kind of relinquished the control back to Megatron. I thought that he would have given up, well, put up more of a fight about it. Megatron says, "Well, since we know that the Autobots are coming, we should attack the Ark since it'll be unguarded." And, and Soundwave says, "No." They they must have some sort of defense, but let's uh, let's uh, let let's stay here and defend our thing. So there's there's two factions. Mega Megatron takes his Decepticons and goes to the Ark, and Shockwave stays with his Decepticon to defend the pit, and they both have battles in the various different places. So it's a uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So the Autobots go and they attack the pit mainly as a diversionary tactic they just want to have they just want bumblebee's mission is to locate the constructicons and record i guess record them while they combine and devastators so we can steal the technology of combiners yeah um so the autobot attack is purely a diversionary tactic i think the most significant thing that happens in this issue is that uh skids is injured in the battle yeah to go further on Megatron realizes that the pit's being attacked, so he takes his Decepticons, who were actually on the way to the space bridge uh, that they were planning to meet Straxus, and then they notice that there's only Autobots there, and then Megatron realizes the Ark must be undefended, and despite uh, Shockwave's proclamations that there's probably something already waiting for them there, they wouldn't just leave the Ark defenseless, Megatron still attacks the Ark, and in which case he finds Omega Supreme, and they kill six Decepticons in this one issue. Omega Supreme destroys Frenzy, Rumble, Thundercracker, uh, Starscream, Buzzsaw. And I remember it seemed like a throwaway thing at the time, but they actually are dead. Yeah. I was very surprised, especially Starscream. Yeah, like Starscream, this, just, this is the end of him. Yeah, and this is the, uh, this is, those are a lot of the original Decepticons. Yeah. At the time, I didn't know, but they literally, they actually don't show up. <laughs> yeah, they're gone. Yeah. Um, and Megatron gets his butt kicked, and he manages. Uh, I think uh, Laserbeak manages to rescue Megatron and get away. This part I really did not like. So Laserbeak brings Megatron back to the pit, 
Yeah. And the shockwave's like, all right, you just proved us that you're an idiot. <laughs> it's time to get rid of you. And then Megatron makes this really, I don't understand, argument about why. Yeah. It was is very very. I found it illogical, and but Shockwave's like that's a logical thing. You must, I guess, you should be the leader after all. <laughs> yeah, like Megatron clearly screwed up. Yeah, and he somehow convinces Shockwave he didn't screw up. I, I don't know. I, I yeah, hate, I didn't I like that either. I did not yeah. like that. Okay, so we got new inkers for this issue. I mentioned that they were going to get new some new inkers, and so this is. Um, Ian Atkins and Brian Garvey, two guys who are inking over Don Perlin's pencils, and I really like their inking. I think that they add a lot to to give weight to these characters. They add a lot to the backgrounds, and they just uh, and their facial expressions. They just tweak Don Perlin's art just enough that it just looks better. I think uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff in here and they stay on inking the rest of the issues in this book so we're gonna the art from here on out i think it is a step up okay go to um go to when omega supreme is fighting all of the decepticons now he has some some lines in here i love the way he talks oh yeah he says uh where is it they say they say who are you and he says I am the guardian of the gates, the junction of your destruction, the laser lightning in the uh, the laser lighting the way to your doom. Now imagine, I am the terror that flaps in the night. <laughs> I am the laser lighting uh, lighting the way to your doom. I am the number you cannot compute. <laughs> he just talks like Darkwing Duck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He doesn't, and once again, deviation from the television show. The television show, Mega Stream, does not speak like this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he speaks very robotic. Oh, yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah, like he, uh, yeah. Like, um, yeah, television, Omega Supreme speaks a lot like sound wave. Sound wave, wave yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, Curtis, you have not seen Bumblebee the movie. No, I haven't. Okay. In fact, I haven't, the only Transformers movie I've seen is the first one, and I didn't like it, so I never watched any of the okay. rest. Okay, you have to watch the new Bumblebee okay. movie. Okay. Okay. And, okay. So, one thing about the Bay movies is that there's, all the fans complain that there's too much emphasis on the humans. Because, and at first it was a, it was a technical thing because it was really expensive to animate the Transformers. You could make an entire movie about the Transformers that they had to right. put a lot of human into it. Sort of the same thing with the newest one. Now, I, I, I don't want to talk too much about the movie, but I loved it. Okay. It was done by a fan. Okay. Not Michael Bay, who did not like Transformers. <laughs> and it shows because they do a lot of nods to G1. And it takes place in the 80s. And yes, there is a human character played by Haley, uh, Haley Steinsfeld. Stein, Steinsberg. Steinsberg. Steinberg. Yeah, I think it's Steinberg. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the plot of the movie is basically this issue. Oh, okay. Yeah. I never even realized it. I'm like, oh my God. As I'm reading these comics again, I'm like, every now and then, it, it seems to be a very common Transformers plot where a regular human one-off issue happens to bump into one of the Transformers sure. and learns about them and befriends them and works together with them in an issue. That happened with Spider-Man. Yeah. That happened with uh, that, that trucker with Huffer in that Oh, yeah. Issue. Right, right, right. Um, I can't remember his can't name. Remember his but name. Yep. but it, it happens quite often. And in this issue... Same thing. This is one of my favorite issues in the book. Did you? Oh, yeah. I, I love it. I, I wasn't a fan of it when I was a kid. Now I'm like, I, I appreciate it more now. Yeah. But it's, uh, first of all, the main character is Skids. 
<laughs> right. I, I don't know why they pick Skids. Not that there's anything wrong with Skids, but if you don't know, Skids was actually one of the more rare Autobots. If you bought, if a, if a store brought in Transformers, there would be cases of of uh, the Autobot cars. You didn't actually just buy a case of Ratchet. Right? right, you actually bought a case of Autobot cars, and there'd be different, a certain ratio. Be a certain ratio, yeah. and Skids only came one per box. Okay, so he was actually a rare one to get, and they promoted it by giving him an entire issue all to himself. Well, not just the like he's a he's a major player in relaying important information, like bringing uh, um, Donnie Finkelberg back into the story. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but this issue is great. So yeah, he's he's damaged. He's like the laying on the kinda, side of yeah, the road. They were, when they were during their escape, he fell over a cliff and got knocked out, and they had to be he had to be left behind. And uh, this woman, um, who is a small town cashier, where are they in Wyoming or something like that? Somewhere in the south. And it, she discovers the damaged skids and takes them to a garage and gets them fixed, and then decides to keep them. Like who finds a, a broken down car on the side of the road and decides, oh, that's going to be my car now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think that she could get this car properly insured. Well, there's there's no license plate on it. <laughs> and that's even worse then. She's driving around with no license plate. Like, that's not how you get a vehicle. Curtis, you're thinking too hard. Okay. Okay. Book. So, <laughs> I, I, she forms this bond with this car because the other thing is that the, there's these two guys. I love these two people in i think it's like a lamborghini or something like this an 80s eighties lamborghini they have a lamborghini just like yeah (laughs) and um and the car in the last issue um skids accidentally damages his lamborghini so now they're after every they they keep running into him and it's this comedic thing where it's it's like like, dukes of hazard i love it it's so funny (laughs) that they 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 run after skids and skids gets away and something worse happens to the lamborghini (laughs) oh and just so you guys know that uh, skids he's just like a little economy like honda so he's not even a sports car and he just keeps <laughs> wrecking this lamborghini it's so good and eventually he has to let out the secret that he's a robot to charlene and the, the girl the cashier and and they form charlene. this bond and it's so funny the best scene is later on in this book where she gives him a, a, car, a wash. car wash. It is like, the, the, I was also talking about how the censorship wouldn't allow this if this were people, but because it's a vehicle, we can get away with this. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. steamiest car wash. <laughs> it's like, Charlene, can you wash my hubcaps again? It's <laughs> like, oh man. But a bunch of uh, bunch of things that happen in, in, the, in the modern movies, they take cues from this one. Like there's the, there's uh, Skids looking in the second floor window talking to her. Yeah. Like that happens in a, a, a few times in the modern movies. Um, yeah, she gives him a car wash. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's another one of those, oh, you're a giant robot? That's weird, but cool. Yeah. I'll accept this. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> Finkelberg, who escaped from the Decepticons, Robot Master, notices that it's Skids, recognizes Skids, and says, I got to get in contact with the Autobots. You got to get me out of here. And Ravage has been hot on his tail the whole time. And uh, there was one part that messed me up. They did a dream sequence. Yeah. That I did not expect. Totally. It was great. Yeah, because I was like, because there's a part where the guy, is it the Lamborghini guy who does it again? Yeah. He takes a, he takes a tire iron and finally gets his revenge on Skids and smashes his window in. And then all and of a sudden, it goes to Skids in this town and Megatron's there 
and Megatron blows him away. Yeah. And it cuts back. Oh, it was just a dream. Because <laughs> that tire iron knocked, uh, knocked skids out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But yeah, this whole bit about how this girl finds this car, turns out to be a robot, and helps her. And, and then the robot has to leave. Um, for, I don't know if this yeah. is how Bumblebee ends as well, but I'm imagining that, you know. It is. Too I, sorry, oh, sorry, spoiler alert. But yeah, yeah. but I'm, that's obvious. It's like you can't, you live too dangerous of a life to allow humans to stay with you, so you have to leave. Yeah. So I was like, wow, I'm wondering if they got the idea from Bumblebee from this issue because there's a lot of parts in here that are similar yeah they could be okay and now here we go it's keep introducing the new characters again and again yep. and again oh uh boss by the way the issue with omega supreme makes sense they killed thundercracker and starscream because we're about to introduce a ton of airplanes yeah we 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 have the second generation decepticon seekers Dirge, Ramjet, and Thrust are in this next issue, number 21. And they are known by the fans as the Coneheads. <laughs> they are the same mold as the original Seekers, except um, in the cartoon and in the comic, uh, even though they're the same Transformer, you leave the, the nose of the cone up so they have these pointy heads. Okay. I, I, I just to make them Just different. to make them a little bit different. <laughs> and they have different wings, even though they're basically the same Transformers. Uh, the Insecticons are now on Earth. And unlike their television counterparts, they actually shrink to the size of actual insects. Nice. Which they didn't do in the show. Which, by the way, now that we have the space bridge, we can keep bringing in Transformers. Right, because the Insecticons were on Cybertron. Yeah. So now, and that was the thing that confused me. All of a sudden, they're on Earth. And I was like, I thought that the space bridge didn't work. No. I thought that they destroyed no. it or they, whatever. They, they, but all they, of a sudden, they're here. And, and I went back again, and it was because uh, the reason why the space bridge disappeared the first time is because during the battle on the bridge, they had hit a fuel line, and so the bridge had to be shut off, but it was only a temporary so thing. So all they had to do was repair the bridge The bridge is working all the time now. Yeah. They had a space bridge in the television show, too, but it didn't look like a bridge. It was more like a, like a teleporter system that they had. But they also had a space bridge in the television show, and I guess that was the reason why they were able to constantly bring in Transformers in the television show as well. Um. Uh, this issue, what happens? Oh, we finally get the aerial bots. Yeah. Um, okay, so now the Autobots have gotten the combiner technology. They've created their own combiners. Now, the aerial bots are the first of four different subgroups of combiners that are known as the Scramble City Transformers. And so while Devastator was the first combiner that came over here to the to the to North America. Devastator was consisted of six Transformers, and if you ever played with the toy, it was very flimsy, and there was a lot of spare parts you had to have that most kids would have lost. So it was, it was cool because it was the first, and most people will still remember him as the best combiner, but he really is the, <laughs> the worst combiner. Okay. <laughs> um, after Devastator, they came up with this new design for subgroups, and what it would be was you would buy the main leader would be a larger size transformer that was more intricate in transformation, but that character would serve as the torso. And so, um, you would Jimmy him a bit and then you would make the other four transformers become the two arms and the two legs. Makes sense. And it was more stable than devastator 
because in Devastator, you had two Transformers being the torso and the shoulder area, and it fell apart there. But with this one, the way they interlocked and everything, it was much more stable. That's kind of the standard for like even like Power Rangers. Yeah, and from now on, this is what they all do. And also, uh, what made these ones unique as well is because the other four were more or less the same Transformer, you could interchange which Transformer became which leg or arm. Oh, okay. You could put them anywhere you wanted. So it didn't matter which way you fit them. There was actually an episode in the cartoon that they did not release in North America where they use it to their advantage where <laughs> or they would fight and then like one of their legs would get knocked off and they would change halfway through which leg was which <laughs> right. and they were able to because you can battle with one arm but you can't battle with yeah, one it, leg it was yeah. whatever okay. that, that's funny <laughs> so the new aerial bots it's uh, slingshot fire flight um, air raid skydive and the leader is thunderbolt and I always remember thunderbolt because I loved beast wars and he was a character oh, yeah, in beast yeah. wars not an did aerial you, did bot, you but... did you like the, the beast wars thunderbolt um, he was a he was a no he, he was a well, do-gooder he was really a, he was yeah, like a yeah, boy yeah. scout wasn't he i can't remember he, he always had platitudes and whatnot and but he he was an interesting character because he was so different than all the rest of them i didn't mind him there i i liked him a lot more um i i'm pretty sure he was in um like in the second in the last season when he got an upgrade he was cooler but the uh the thing about this okay so this is the first time the uh, other than other than Jetfire, these are the first Autobots that are able to fly on their own. Um, please don't point out <laughs> any inconsistencies with that because there are there were there's sometimes when the Autobots could fly, but technically <laughs> this is supposed to be the first time the Autobots have an Air Force. Okay, and they suck. <laughs> Sorry, they don't well, suck. It's because they don't suck. But the thing is, okay, they were rushed is, into battle. Yes, right? they were rushed into battle. Uh, they only, not... only Silverbolt has his personality program so far. Right. But that's not no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, okay, the Decepticon Seekers are soldiers. They're merciless. When you read their tech specs, they are amazing at what they do. They are soldiers designed to kill. And when the Autobots finally get their Air Force, they put these horrible quirks in these personalities. Now, I, like, like I said, like Curtis said, they, they don't have personalities yet except for Silverbolt. But Silverbolt is scared of heights. <laughs> that is actually his personality. Okay. And I'm like, why <laughs> would you do that? It was the same on the TV show, I think, if I recall correctly, that he's scared of heights and he's our leader of the Air Force. <laughs> well, you know, it makes for interesting it, storytelling. It makes, it makes for interesting yeah. storytelling because some of them are cocksure and, 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 and yeah. you know, they all have these quirks that make them unique and interesting. True. The Decepticons don't have that problem. So these Autobots it's they're always fighting an uphill battle. That's what I'm getting. That's what I find frustrating. But anyway, um, so we finally get to see the uh, the the aerial bots introduced, and um, they f- become superior, which is their their combined mode. And uh, what do we have here? Yeah, that's that's all I really got to say about CG. It was, an, it was an, another issue to introduce new characters. What I found interesting about Superion is that um, he has a separate personality and like a completely new persona. And there is a, there's a point in the story where Silverbolt is actually arguing with Superion about what they should do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like I, I didn't realize that when they combine, like their, their own personalities are suppressed. There is... Um... In some of the lore later on, they mention how the combiner brain works, and 
very often than not, the, the combined robots are not that smart because right. uh, they're actually a combination of all the other robots. And so in order to keep it simpler, they don't think as much. Uh, there is an exception to that later on named Computron. <laughs> Computron. Compu- no, yeah. he, he, he doesn't show up in this issue, but they, 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 try, they did us on the show too. He was a combiner later on and they wanted to make the smartest combiner ever. Okay. And he ended up always making the right decision but he took six or seven minutes to come to the decision. <laughs> it was such a horrible plastic. Like, oh man. Anyway, sorry. I digress. We gotta go back to this issue. Yeah. So the the four aerial bots are fighter jets, but Silverbolt is a Concorde. Not yeah. really a combative. No, not at all. Plane. I don't know what he's gonna do flying around. He's a passenger jet. Like, and he's know. huge, and yeah. it does not fit for. Um, combat, combat fighting. I, I, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Toys. Yay. It, it, this was a good... I like this issue too. And I, you always say that you are not fans of the human stories. But I like the human story in this one because one of the Insecticons takes control of a human and forces him to take control of this of this uh the, of the dam and they're going to use the energy produced by this dam in order and send it through the space bridge and, and power cybertron and the dad's story and with the the mom and the kid coming it's uh i thought it was really yeah, good yeah no, that was good that was good as a kid right i i didn't like for as i'm older I, I i appreciate the human stories a lot more even though they're very unlikable sometimes i like them yeah like, i like the stories that they're able to produce with them yeah well, and this one was just a one-off random person that we meet, but I like it like he's a family man and he's forced into being a terrorist yeah. against his will. And like, how do you, the poor guy, I can't imagine all the paperwork or um, trouble he's in because of that afterwards. You said that uh, they canned two issues. They didn't can this issue, did they? No. So what they did with, so you're speaking about the last page in this yeah. issue, right? So Because Circuit Breaker's in the last splash panel she's in the last page it ends on a cliffhanger what they did in the other volume was they blacked her out so it just looks like a silhouette so you don't know who it is and they remove the word circuit breaker from this last page so uh so they can still have the splash page which is great because it's an awesome splash page because you see circuit breaker with the heads of the new decept or the new autobots that just came over the space bridge on her wall like she's a like a trophy, trophy hunter yeah and it's fantastic but yeah they they just um because we finally get to see that. what happened to the autobots they came over the space bridge who've been missing for a bit they're dead i like how they they have called them the cybertron seven is that what they're called that's what that's what um finkelberg and jetfire call them when oh, they're yeah. looking for them the cybertron seven so this new one, uh, issue number 22, it's called Heavy Traffic. I do not know who that is on the cover. Well, uh, yes, it's a very surprising, it's, um, is it, it look, I, I it's Menasaur. Like Gal- is it Menasaur? Yeah, Menasaur. He's the one who's, he's oh. the combiner who is introduced in this issue. Oh, okay. And that does not, okay, whatever. So it, this is, um, when Marvel was celebrating their 25th anniversary, all of their comics for this month had, um, uh, a special issue, uh, a special cover where all of the the Marvel characters were in the border. So, did you ever see issues that looked like this? Oh my goodness, yes, I did. Yeah, for sure. They had all of the Marvel characters around the border, and all of them. Like, I think 
maybe not all of the comics, but uh, most of the titles uh, in this month or the previous month had this look to them. And unfortunately for the IDW reprint, they couldn't put all of these Marvel characters in the border. So it's just a plain border that they've um, they've reproduced here. They, I see that there are some stars they couldn't get out of the logo that are still there. Right. Okay, because I'm looking at this reprint cover, and I'm like, this looks really plain, and it's a weird border. And now that I see that's what's missing from it, yeah. that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. And it's it's a weird choice. Like, why not put Optimus Prime on the cover or, you know, Bumblebee or one of the, the main Autobots? But we chose Menasaur, who is a one-shot character. We're not going to, probably not going to see him again. He, uh, Well, maybe we'll see him down the road, but he's certainly not in the rest of this book. And he's just not that memorable looking either. No, he. I am. There's just something about him. He looks like a Frankenstein, like yeah. just a bunch of cars put together. Right. Yeah. Like Superion doesn't even look like that. But getting into the issue, um, anything you want to say about it? Yeah, sure. Circuit Breaker has captured the Cybertron Seven and is literally um, dissecting them. I like we're in a morgue and they're like putting, she's putting all the parts in different spots and like removing their brains and she's got is, the heads on the Is this the, the wall. first time we see Rat? I think it might be. So in the last issue, Donnie Finkelberg called Rat and said, no, well, I mean, Rat, I there's, there's the guy Bennett, right? Bennett was in the first issue of this book. Yeah. And I can't remember if they called Rat. No, they're called the III. They, they refer to the III here as well. They're like partner groups or something like that. But yeah, Circuit Breaker is now working for this rapid anti-robot assault. Something, something. I can't remember what the acronym is. But yeah, it's um, yeah. she's working with these guys and uh, is just capturing whatever robot she can. She has a huge warehouse full of dead Transformers. Um, and so, yeah, Optimus sends Skids and Donnie to find the Cybertron 7, but then the Stunticons show up to stop them. Uh, what oh, he... yeah, because uh, didn't they, they, they implanted Optimus, I think. Uh, yes, um, the insect, what, who is it, Bombshell? Bombshell. Bombshell sneaks into the Autobots arc and puts a little device that's supposed to control Optimus's brain, but only actually makes it so they can um, hear what, what he's thinking. But they managed to steal the creation matrix while he's using it. While he's using it to give life to the aerial bots and yeah. give them personality. The Decepticons steal it at the same time. Or I guess See, these are this is some of the contrived ways that they, that Bob Budiansky's bringing Autobots or new Transformers, I mean, to life. It's yeah. just uh it's not the greatest way to do it, but I mean, yeah, you know, it's yeah, a comic yeah, book, yeah, so it works. It. Sure, I just not? don't know how the creation matrix waves transmit <laughs> through their radio or whatever. But again, thinking too hard about it, I think. <laughs> okay, Stunticons. We have Dead End, Wild Rider, Breakdown, Motormaster, and Drag Strip. And they combine to be Menasaur. Oh, the joys of scale. If you uh, look at this, uh, you'll notice that um, the Stunticon leader... Motormaster. Uh, the Motormaster. He is a semi, just like Optimus. He's except that he huge. combined... It's, it's to, the cab is his feet. Yeah. And the trailer is his body. 
And he, so he's as big as Minnesota. He should like. be basically massive compared to Optus, but in the show and in the comic, they're the same size. Go figure. They're not very important in the uh, comics, if I recall correctly. I think they're in this one issue, and they, they show up later on, but they're very minor characters. Yeah. Uh, not like in the television show where they were more prominent. Were they popular toys? Yeah, they were. Their cars, Hot Wheels. Yeah. Right? And so <laughs> it's it was kind of contrived in the television show because uh, in the television show, the uh, Transformers actually went to Cybertron because the, the creation matrix was on cybertron okay i don't think they even call it that um but the autobots needed an air force because the decepticons kept beating them in the air yeah <laughs> the decepticons needed cars because because <laughs> the, the autobots kept beating them on the road gotcha so, so like... the decepticons got the stunticons <laughs> yeah. and the autobots got the aerial bots yeah. ah. and so that's why the, the, usually when you see the aerial bots you see the stunticons they're like they're like they're arch nemesis okay. of each other. Interesting. You know? Oh, wow. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, it. And, oh, man, Circuit Breaker. She comes off as just kind of an annoyance in this. She is so annoying. I, and, you know, the thing is, you know, you know she, doesn't, she doesn't discriminate against uh, Transformers. She hates all of them. She doesn't <laughs> get, but why is it? She always hurts the Autobots first. <laughs> like, they're takes just, out Superion. The and then, you know, Menasaur is free to do whatever he wants. Like, she, it's just like, you never see her hit a Decepticon first. It's always an Autobot. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh. But yeah. They're... This one was a big giant robot fight. And it was an okay issue just to kind of get us through the rest of this uh, Circuit Breaker story. Um, and over to the next issue. It I could take it or leave it, though. Yeah, it wasn't really great. The next couple of issues are not the best. The next issue is another. Well, Circuit Breaker, once again, um, this is this is Robot Master's Redemption, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, this one's issue 23. It's called Decepticon Graffiti, which I like the, the play on words to um, American Graffiti, the yeah. movie, um, because, well, graffiti plays a, a big role in this, but also just the... I think the coming of age of of uh, Donnie Finkelstein's character, yeah, yeah. Uh, really plays along with the the themes of the American Graffiti movie, which is one of my favorites. I love that movie. Um, we have another introduction of new characters run a buck, run a buck, and run say. about. <laughs> That's so every funny. issue new characters. So ba- they're called they're called battle chargers in this issue, right? Yeah. So the the toys um, they they tinkered with these type of transformers before. Um, they are pull back and release. Okay. Cars. Yeah. But uh, they could do that either in robot mode or Autobot uh, or sorry robot mode or car mode. Okay. And I think there was a mechanism where they could actually transform mid run. Oh wow. Like, like they would snap very, or something. They, like they that. would snap open. They're they're very simple transformations. So yeah, cool. They've actually started doing that again with the newer toys. They're like these days they've really got their system down. Like they have numbers on the side of the transformers telling you how difficult the transformation process is. Yes, and they have ones for little kids where you just do a couple of tugs and it transforms. My friend, my boys got me a transform uh, a Megatron for Christmas last year, and it is difficult like i it's like <laughs> i couldn't i i figured it out but um it's not like optimus where i can just snap 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 there it goes i can play with in a robot mode no i actually have to like sit there for 10 minutes and transform the dumb thing before i can play with yeah. it um i yeah this issue's not much to say it was it was uh what was it 
Robot Master is just this is really just the end of Robot Master. That's yeah. All it was. So uh, I want you to look at um, the character of Noah, the little kid. Yeah. Um, go back a few pages, and he's wearing a white shirt. Oh, is there supposed to be a? Okay. See, now I'm looking at these blank canvases. He's got a yeah, Spider-Man on this Spider -Man shirt. On shirt. And they've taken <sighs> all of the references of Spider-Man out of this issue here. What other references were there? Uh, no, just every time you see his shirt has a Spider-Man oh, okay. on it. Okay, but so, they don't mention any of the Marvel heroes no, by no, no, name, no. right? Okay. No, it's just that. It's just the, the look of Spider-Man, which is like, it's not, I don't know what, what, what the copyright laws are around that kind of thing. Because like, I th I'm pretty sure that you see people draw things pop culture references on people's shirts and comics all the time yeah but i don't, I don't know they, they, I mean, they probably could have gotten away with it but if someone called them on it that's really expensive to fix so yeah. they're probably just um erring on the side of caution sure hold on so these were marvel comics i, I let me yes. give me let me get this clear about how the copyright thing works did they did marvel sell the rights to idw no hasbro owns the rights to it flat out they hired Marvel to make these comics for them. So they, uh, they own it all. Um, the only reason they don't own Circuit Breaker is because... Yeah. Circuit, I think I explained this in the last episode. Yeah. The Circuit Breaker appeared in one panel of Secret Wars or Contest of Champions or something like that, where uh, that meant that since she appeared in a comic book outside of Transformers, that she was an actual Marvel property. So IDW so had to they, go... How did, they, how did they get Circuit Breaker in this then? So they had to license the character from Marvel. So they paid money. Yes. So if they wanted, say, Spider-Man on that kid's shirt... They'd have to pay some money. They had to pay some money. So this is um, this was several years ago that they made these, de these deals. IDW has actually a great relationship with Marvel right now. In fact, they are producing Spider-Man comics for kids and Avengers comics. Mm-hmm. They've just licensed the character from Marvel because Marvel doesn't have any interest in doing any all-ages books. So IDW is doing them. IDW is reprinting the Spider-Man uh, newspaper comic strip. And and so it's like they could probably get away with it now since they have a good working relationship, but this was several years ago, so they decided not to. Okay, so the only thing else I want to say about this issue is that it's actually a Decepticon-centric issue. Uh, um, issue sorry yeah. there's there's barely any autobot involvement at all and the story focuses on these two new characters and circuit breaker so that's kind of unusual for the the flow of these books here move on to the next issue oh please let's move on to the next oh, issue oh man <laughs> <laughs> nothing this this issue this is issue number 24 it's called after death I think this is possibly the most 80s issue that we've come up with yet. Yeah. It's oh, it's so good. I love yeah. it. <laughs> okay, so here, here's the, the basic plot of this one. Optimus and Megatron face each other in a battle, which about time... Oh, wait, hold on, sorry. Uh, we had to introduce new Transformers. This is the issue that they introduced. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Menasaur and the Combaticons. Oh, man. So, oh man! Sorry, not Menasaur, Defensor. So the, a lot the happens, and the Combaticons. A lot happens in this this story before the actual plot of the issue starts. Yeah, yep. we. So okay, um, the Protectobots, Groove, Street Streetwise, First Aid, 
Hotspot, and Blades. And I had to pull those names through. They don't do a roll call panel like they've done in the past year. I had to pull those names from general conversation throughout this issue. And they combine to become Defensor. And then the Combaticons are Onslaught, Vortex, Blastoff, Brawl, and Swindle. And they form Bruticus. So were these guys popular toys? Defensor, yeah, they were. They were, they were used quite a bit in the show. Um, they were, yeah, they were good. Awesome. All, all, all the combiners were really popular. They made sure that in the television show they had a lot of showcase for each of them. Yes. Because yeah. they want to sell those toys. They want to sell those toys. Yeah. Well, in this issue here, these, <laughs> the two new groups fight and you have this gigantic robot battle and then we're like no 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 hold on we're hurting too many people we're destroying too much stuff we got to find a way to fight where we're not gonna hurt it (laughs) destroy anything and i can't believe megatron agrees to this but this yeah it's so dumb this this computer programmer has been making this video game where he can input the personalities or the essence of these characters into the video game so megatron and optimus their first face-to-face fight since like the first issue, I think, and they're gonna fight they're gonna in fight a video in game. a video game, and and it's not a video game; it's a computer game. Yep. They don't call it video game; they call it a computer game. Yep. And uh, everything is oh, stored and, and was on it, the was, huge it was a thing like floppy uh, disk. The loser, the loser gets their personality erased. Um, no, it gets destroyed. Yeah. Like he, will push a button on the joystick that they are in, and the robot, the loser robot, will explode. It's I don't like, know. I why don't know how this works. But they agreed to this. This makes no sense. <laughs> and even more so, it's like Optimus wins. Uh, he says, even though we're we're in a video game, we still need to live by our code and you know save yeah. all of these fake yeah. creatures yeah. that are in the game. Oh, and man. because he Optimus ignores some of the creatures at one point, and they they you know die their fake death. He's like, no, you know what? I'm the real loser of this game because I didn't follow my own code. So Megatron, go ahead and blow me up. And so he blows up. Yeah. I, I was like, oh, man. You know, sometimes Optimus, you deserve to die. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I did. Yeah. The great splash page where he explodes at the, toward the end there. Um, I thought that was good. Oh, God. Optimus. But yeah, it was, and then uh, the secret at the very end is that they, he's, sa- he's, they saved Optimus's personality. He downloaded on a, it onto a, a floppy disk. Floppy disk. <laughs> it's, yep, it's like three and a half inch floppy disk. We, we no, f- no, it's the bigger ones. The five. Oh, is it a five a quarter inch? Yeah, that's. Oh uh, you can't tell from this picture, but at the beginning of this issue, he, he's holding the black the black oh disk. Oh my thing. goodness. Yep. Gosh, because this is the '80s. Those three and a halfs are the '90s. Yeah, you're, you're getting right, ahead of yourself. Right. Oh my god! Like even the three and a quarter, sorry, three and a half inch ones. I remember how many discs did you need to, you know, install a game? Couldn't even fit an MP3 file on one of those things. You're right. It's like, yeah, we'll put all. And the five and a quarter held like nothing. Yeah, it was like kilobytes. You know, <laughs> it's amazing that we can carry around these small, tiny devices that are the size of a thumbnail that has like a terabyte on it. Less than all you kitties out there who are listening to this, like we, there's a reason why there's transformers who use cassette tapes. This is the era we're growing up in right now. I remember when MP3s first came a thing. I didn't have any way to make them on my computer, so I went over to a friend's house and I had to bring like a stack, a fat stack of those three and a half, three and a half inch floppy disks to bring like ten MP3s back to my yeah, house. Yeah, no, it's crazy. <laughs> it was amazing at the time. 
Okay, uh, is this the last issue? This is issue 25. Yeah, I think this is the last issue of the book. Yeah, and I actually like this one. This is a good follow-up to the last issue. Megatron is depressed yeah. <laughs> because he, his main villain is gone. This is like a plot that we've seen before recently, isn't it? Like, wasn't, wasn't Megamind, wasn't that a movie... Megamind is a movie. I never saw it, so I don't know what the plot okay, is. Okay, but it happens. I, I, I've seen this plot several times where there's these two arch villains, uh, arch nemesis, who fight each other for eons or whatever. It seems forever. And then one, when one of, them, like, one of them finally wins, they don't know what to do with themselves. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like... the, the reason for living is gone. <laughs> and that's why, and he's just sulking in his chair made up of scrapped cars. Um and doesn't know what to, he gets really really mad um, Soundwave manipulates him into um, uh, what is it into kind of finding he, he says that Megatron he says that Optimus must be alive somewhere so Megatron goes and tries to find him and the, here's the thing uh, we, we are introduced to another group of characters these are the Predacons oh man this is uh, Rampage Headstrong Razorclaw Tantrum dive bomb and they form the monster uh, Predaking. Predaking who looks really really awesome Predacon the Predacons that name gets used several times throughout the lore um, I, I first heard of Predacons because that's what the bad Beast, guys are called in Beast, Beast Wars, Wars yeah. like it's the main faction um, the main bad guy faction in that show and then later on in Transformers Prime they are a, they are a group of robots that uh, are prehistoric uh, dinosaur on Cybertron. But not Dinobots? No. No. <laughs> okay. Okay, and so okay, let me go back to the plot here. Shockwave hires the Predacons to take out Megatron. So these are the neutral... I think, no, they are, no, they they're, are they're Decepticons, Decepticons, but then they are stamped as Autobots when they go to Earth so that Megatron thinks that Autobots are destroying him. Yeah. These guys, when they came out, they were huge. So the Stunticons, the aerial bots, they're all about the size of, say, a Hot Wheels, maybe a bit bigger than, maybe a Matchbox car. The Predacons were very different. They were medium-sized Transformers, and they combined into to making a, uh, a combiner Transformer. So this was a giant one. It was expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And it looked cool. I bet. Yeah. I <laughs> uh, had a bunch of them. And, oh, this one was kind of gory, too. You see, because you know, when you read the tech specs on these guys, you hear about, like, uh, I think it's like Razor, uh, the leader. Is it Razorclaw? Um, Razorclaw, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got really sharp claws. And there's a part in it where he claws Megatron's face, and you see that half of Megatron's face has been ripped off. So the even more gory part is at the beginning of this issue where Megatron gets mad at Brawl. Oh, yeah, yeah. And squashes his head with his hands. It's like, holy cow. Yeah, you couldn't do this again with the comic code. If this were people, you're not going to have your bad guy squashing a person's head like... It, it's quite brutal. Yeah. And there's uh, some great expressions in this one. Like Don Perlin and the team of Inkers are, are doing really, really well in these, these back half of the, this book here. They still look like robots. I mean, they, 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 they do have... It, you're, 
they look organic at points, but they still look like robots. But later on in the series, towards the end of the series, they really do look like humans is who, that who are wearing or, helmets. Is that good or bad, though? I remember when I first saw that, I didn't like it, but it made the expressions much better. Like, mm. you felt more emotion with that. But okay. at the same time, right. it looked like people wearing armor. Okay. Um, and one thing I noticed about the newer Michael Bay movies and the newest one, Bowlby, is that they don't... Because you're, you're wondering right now, is it metal? Are their faces metal? Like, what right. is it some kind of fabric? Because it's, it's got all it's this flexibility. Pliable, it's yeah. pliable, right? Yeah. But in the, in the modern movies, they are panels that scrunch and close. And you can see that they're mechanical. But they just don't look as good as these. No. <laughs> That's the other thing, too. So I well, you're not going to want to draw right? yeah. op- that over and over again. Yeah. It's easier when it's a model that you're animating that's already been made. So this, uh, there's a one reference to Transformers and G.I. Joe miniseries. Uh, Megatron says he wants to get information over to his buddies in, in Cobra. Yeah. So that kind of segues to where I want to go next. Do you have anything more you want to say about this issue here? No, this is pretty much it. I mean, there's there's not much else here, except that uh, we know that Optimus is going to be back. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is the second time Optimus is kind of destroyed. He was destroyed in the first one, and he's destroyed in this one. So it's kind of an ongoing thing for him. Uh, we also get to see really how awesome Megatron actually is. He actually manages to fight all five Predacons. And, you know, he, he gets beat up quite a bit, but he still manages to kick their butts. And then he still manages to fight Predaking. Now, Predaking in Transformers lore, he's unstoppable. Like, yeah. no one can actually... Because uh, remember we were talking about the combiner personalities? He is... He fights purely by instinct. He has no thought, really. Okay. And yeah. that, he, that makes him the perfect hunter. And so in he's always been considered to be very intimidating and unstoppable. Megatron still manages to beat him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like, this yeah. is kind of the first time that he's actually really been menacing, I think. Megatron has been just, uh, yeah. I don't know, a little I, flat. I find, I find him, okay, honestly, I find him scarier in the comics than I did in the TV show. But yeah. in this one... When he like when he does that thing to brawl's head, and then later on when he's fighting the Predacons, yeah, he's you don't want to mess with Megatron. Yeah, and then he kills himself. Yeah, he ends up going under the space bridge and destroys himself. So we think. So we think. <laughs> yeah, he's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so that was the issue. That's the whole book. But uh, no, that that bit, Return of Cybertron, love that part so good definitely highlight i also like i said i like the showdown issue as well that the bumblebee movie is seems like it's based on yeah there were a few clunkers in here but overall this volume was way better heads and tails than the first yeah. volume they've they found their groove they know what they're doing and even the fact that they're introducing we probably had um, i think i counted over 50 new transformers in this one book in 12 issues that's one year of comics but like we said, like you said, I think they they he did a really good job of knowing what to do. Just treat it as a guest star, yeah, every week, um, and still have the main cast be this, you know, they- to carry through, yeah. So you're not rapidly expanding, constantly expanding your cast, and even with like the introduction of the Insecticons, there they carry through issue to issue. Yeah. But we only really focused on Bombshell, yeah. So that was okay. That is unfortunately something that is not going to keep happening because later on. 
they do sort of just toss people and constantly rotate the cast, and it definitely affects the storytelling. That's what they're doing with the Avengers these days. It's like the cast of the Avengers in the comics is so large. And I'm thinking mainly with Jonathan Hickman's Avengers is that each issue focuses on a different group, a random assortment. It's not even like they have like the gold team or the blue team of X-Men. It's like they just, um, every issue has five different um, Avengers. And I found it to be very disjointed storytelling so well that's the problem it's like you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because you're ultimately at the end of the day you're doing this to sell toys yeah hasbro's like i we want you to push these these guys here at the sacrifice of good storytelling because you you buy the toys because of the stories yeah right but at the same time you, you, you know you can't tell good stories if you're constantly making new toys that's why uh you'll find that um stuff like like say batman for example it's just batman right everyone's going to get the Batman toy and that'll be the end of it. So what do they do? They just come up with different versions of Batman, yeah. different color that's schemes, great. right? And that's what they actually ended up doing with Transformers later on when okay. the Prime series came out because they they learned, and in Beast Wars as well, they realized that if you want good story, you have to have a small cast. Yeah. Right? You have to have that. Yeah, have, there's just like five of them. You have to the pick the right part, characters yeah. to have a good dynamic mm-hmm. and then you can write amazing stories. But the problem is you can only sell so many toys then. Right, and so they come up with different versions of the same character. Oh, here's a plot device. They get new armor or something like that. Right, yeah. So that's what happened in Beast Wars yeah, Beast for Wars, sure because the, they all had the their... transmetals. Yeah, the, yeah, the transmetal. Yeah. That's what it is. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then the Beast Machines upgrades as well. Yeah. Uh, Which I don't. Do they have Beast Machines toys? No, I never saw those. No, wait. If they they did. they did. I think they. I seem to recall a Cheetor Beast Machine toy. I could be wrong. I didn't, did you actually watch Beast Machines? I did. I liked it a lot. I, I got. I, I didn't. I never liked Beast Wars in the first and second season, but then by the my, but Eric, my brother loved it, and so I I because there's only one TV, I watched it, and but then the third season, I think it was the third season, I, I loved, and then it tra- transitioned into that new show, and I thought I loved the look and the feel of that. It new was show. dark, yeah, and even Beast Wars when they decided because they they didn't want it to be continuity, yeah. It was originally not going to be. And then right. when they started making continuity, yeah. and then they connected everything. And I remember when I first saw G1 characters on that, yeah. I'm like, oh my God. When Optimus <laughs> shows up there, it was yeah, like really it was cool. like, oh, yeah. that was really good. But oh, you watch it now, the animation, it hasn't aged well. No, no, it certainly hasn't. Yeah. But uh, yeah, apparently in Japan, Beast Wars is huge. Mm-hmm. Like it was really big over there. But overall, yeah, no, cool. We'll do... Uh, so yeah this is what i'm thinking because they make a reference to the gi joe and transformers crossover miniseries um i'm thinking that we should uh we should tackle the miniseries before we move on to the next volume of the of the series because all of those there's um there's the four issues headmaster series and then there's the four issue gi joe transformers and there's also the three issue movie adaptation so why don't we make an an episode out of all of those miniseries since they, they all came out in 86, 87, right when these issues that we just talked about and the ones that we're going to talk about in the next one um, happen they, at the same time. Yeah. So let's keep it contemporary, move into that one. I think that'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be good. Wow, there we go. That's that's our episode then. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. I love I love talking to you, Transformers with you because you bring so much knowledge of just the toys and your own nostalgia. I love hearing about it. Oh man, I can't believe it, it makes sense though that this issue issue six are sold out because they are by far the best issues of the series. 
Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, Volume 2 is getting pretty pricey to find. And I don't know if IDW has still has the licensing agreement to make, you know, to keep new printings. So I'm hoping that new printing will come out because I would love to get a copy of Volume 6, but I'm not paying $150 for it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay, there we are. Thanks for joining me on this episode, Peter, and we will see you next time. See you later.